Made possible by Real Ale Brewing and the 8020 Foundation. It's so good to see y'all, kind of. Your, your faces are enshrouded in darkness, but it's kind of mysterious in a nice little sexy way. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. I'm Andrea Vocap Sanderson, your host, Poet Laureate of San Antonio. Yeah. Tonight's storytellers have gone through hell and back, and then somewhere in the middle of that, they said, now what? Life is gonna throw a lot at us, and you know, the past two years, has it not? But we're still here, we're still alive, we're still standing, so no matter how many times we ask, now what? We have survived. Our first storyteller is Brianna Rocha. Brianna is here today to talk about how fitting in takes a little bit more than a cool outfit. Let's welcome Brianna Rocha. Hello. So I've never been an extroverted person. I've always been that quiet kid in the corner who only had a small group of friends, got good grades, and never really talked much. Or as I like to call it, a nerd. I never really needed to talk to more than one person. I just needed a few people, and that was it. Then COVID hit, and you can probably guess that didn't end well for my introverted lifestyle. Instead of preparing to go to high school and be extroverted and cool, I played Mancala with my 11-year-old sister. <laughs> in my, my life into the real world was just completely cut off until I heard about this Magnet High School, Northeast School of the Arts. It, it was this performing arts school completely across town and out of my district, but the second I heard about it, it became my dream school. They had a creative writing program where I could study to become a creative writer in school every single day. And although the audition process was a bit rough, you had to submit 10 best uh, pieces of your best work, uh, timed right, an essay, and share that essay, and share the timed right in front of a panel of people. But after all that, I did get accepted. I did debate on going whether or not because it was a completely different place, but after some debacle, I decided to go. So a few weeks into summer, we had a meet and greet where you could meet your teachers and your fellow classmates. So at this point, I'm getting all my clothes ready. I'm pulling on my mom jeans, which were completely different and cool at my old school, putting on my dad's old band t-shirt, lacing up my Converse, getting the three C's, cool, confident, and chill. I'm getting ready and I step into the class and I realize my plan is going to completely fail. Everyone there is so confident in what they're wearing, whether it was bright pink pants or strawberry embroidered shorts or colored hair or chokers all over your neck. Everyone made a statement about what they were wearing, which was completely new to me because I never felt like I could do that and just be myself in a crowd like that. So. I felt like this new girl who nobody knew, out of district, everyone already friends, everyone was talking, and I just didn't want to get in the way, so I chose to be that quiet kid again and sit in the corner and not talk to anyone. So a few weeks later, it's the first day of school, and I'm going with my best friend at the time, and she's the complete opposite of me. She's outgoing, a social butterfly, really, and she's always been the person to help me in social interactment and just get me to talk a little bit. Um, I... 
never really learned from her, sadly. But we're going to school, and then we learn we have zero classes together, not even lunch. So that already felt like my lifeline had been cut off, like the one person who could help me at this new school wasn't going to be there for me. And I had already blown it at the meet and greet because everyone in creative writing already made friends and was cool with each other. And I was just this complete nobody who nobody still knew. And I was this nerd. And I felt like if I even tried to join a conversation, I would get in the way. And my anxiety just really took over and told me to sit in that corner and not do anything, just be that quiet kid. So when lunch came around and I had absolutely zero friends, I sat alone for that day and the next and the next and for the entire week. The only thing I could do during that time was just obsess over every single thing that I had done during the day, overthink every interaction, everything I said, and just really push myself into this corner and stress and just all these bad thoughts about what would happen if I even did try to go up with someone. I just asked myself, now what? Should I go back to my old school and try to be better where I was safe or where everyone knew me and I would be fine? Do I even belong at this new school? Then, while I'm having these obsessive thoughts, I lose my best friend at the time. And with, along with losing that, I also lose my ride to school. So now my dad would have to drive me an hour across town to drop me off and then come an hour, an hour back to pick me up during 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. traffic. I started feeling like complete, a complete burden on everyone and just really down and depressed about everything because I'm not the person who I wanted to be coming to the school and I'm a complete outsider and an outcast and I just asked myself again, now what? Can I survive at this new school? What should I do? What, what do I belong here? And I just started feeling completely awful, in other words. Then, while I'm having all these bad thoughts, my theater teacher asked me if I wanted to audition for the school musical. It was Little Shop of Horrors, my favorite musical. And after having nothing else in my life to currently do, I decided to do it. I put on the best amount of confidence I had and went up on that stage, sang a song for them, and they liked it. And I got the role of Chiffon, one of the three doo-wops. I think when I was trying to learn how to come out of my shell, <laughs> I think I took some of Chiffon's personality into my own because she was this confident, sassy, spunky gal, and I had none of that. So I think I tried to steal some of her personality because the minute I stepped into that cast, I felt accepted. Like, everyone there was quirky and had insecurities, and I was this only person who nobody knew because nobody really knew each other. We were all this small little cast, and everyone was so friendly and kind, and I just started feeling a lot better about myself and about the situation I was in. Everything started to come in a, a new light. Like, I was, I'd learned I was the one putting myself in this corner, and causing myself to have all these obsessive thoughts. And if I just pushed those away for one second, everyone was actually really amazing and kind. So I'm not saying I became an extrovert in a short amount of time. I just slowly started coming out of my shell and trying to talk more instead of listening from a side. And it felt really good. Now I'm about to go into my, about, it's about to be the end of my freshman year. I have one more week left and then I'll be a sophomore practically. And, and I'm still nervous and those obsessive thoughts are still there, but I'm learning to ignore them and just be myself. And 
I can genuinely say I'm not the same person I was at the beginning of this year, and I'm really happy. Thank you. Our next storyteller is Tanvir Aurora. Tanvir is here to tell his story about how having it made at home, but he had to leave in order to make something of his own. Please welcome to the stage, Tanvir Aurora. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Tanvir Aurora. And you probably would have guessed by my looks and my accent that I'm not originally from San Antonio. <laughs> That's right, I'm actually from Laredo, Texas. <laughs> How disappointed would you guys be if I said I was kidding, I'm actually from India? A little bit, all right. Now, I am from India. I grew up there 22 years of my life. I was there, and then I decided to move to America. I, remember, I still remember my first day when I landed in Houston at the airport. The TSA person looks at my passport, and he reads India, and he goes, I watched the Slumdog Millionaire recently. <laughs> and it's a pretty hard life. And I was like, yes, it is a pretty hard life. And honestly, I, I faced a lot of hardships growing up in India. I'll tell you a few, like, I grew up in Mumbai. If you, if you don't know what Mumbai or where Mumbai is, it, it's just imagine New York City with Indian people. That's what Mumbai is. And um, my parents, they weren't that well-to-do. Like, we, we only had, like, a two-story house in the heart of Mumbai. <laughs> and, I mean, we only had like five cars, <laughs> and each car came with a dedicated driver. <laughs> Never got to drive. It was really hard, guys. That's, it was really hard. And we, we only had like five maids, you know, like, yeah, I remember one, one was for cleaning, one was for cooking, one was for laundry, one, one, one was for dishes, and one just as a backup. <laughs> Never did any of that. My life was really hard is what I'm trying to say, it's what it was. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I remember, when I was a teenager, I remember watching this Bollywood movie, and um, there was this actor, and he had this round bed, never seen in my life, a round bed. And I told my dad, that's what I want. And guess what? They don't sell round beds <laughs> in stores. So it was, pretty, it was pretty hard for us. Like my dad had to custom make a round bed for me. And once that bed was made, we realized they don't sell round bed sheets in stores. So we had to custom make those as well. My life was really hard, is what I'm trying to, yeah, it was, it was, it was a sweet, sweet life that I gave up, I don't know why. Um, 
No, it was actually good. I, I got greedy is what happened. I was like, how do I take this experience to the next level? And I Googled uh, which is the best city in the entire world. And New, New York City popped up. I didn't know much about the entire world. I was just in my bubble. So um, I did all my research on New York City. And by research, I mean I watched all 10 seasons of Friends. <laughs> and then I, I, I Googled uh, how to enter United States of America. And a lot of um, articles showed up on how to cross the border from Mexico. <laughs> that wasn't what I was looking for. <laughs> now, I found out the best way to come to America was to enroll into a university for like a graduate program. And that's what I did. I applied to a bunch of colleges. I got an acceptance letter from a university in New York. And uh, it was pretty expensive, but my parents were like, they're not going to pay for it. They will not do it. They wanted me to live with them for life. So my American dream was kind of shattered there. Uh, but I had, uh, I had enough motivation to move out of India. And one of the biggest motivation for me to move out was there's this group of people that always meddled into my life. And all my Hispanic friends, you guys would know, I'm calling, you call them relatives, right? <laughs> I just had to move. I got lucky. I got, I got an acceptance letter from uh, Texas A&M University in College Station. Whoop. Yep. And my, my future changed, right? So I, and they, all, they actually offered me a scholarship and also like stipend every week. So I was like, this is a no-brainer. And my parents were like, yeah, if you want to do this, you, you're on your own. I was like, fine, let's do this. And I was like, College Station. How different that can be from New York City. <laughs> I mean, it's America, it's, it has to be the same, right? Almost the same. I took a flight to Houston, I got a shuttle to College Station. I got out of the shuttle, I took a stroll in College Station. And I legit thought, I'm in a time travel movie. And I've gone back in time, way, way back in time. I was looking for those tall buildings I was looking for those flashy lights. Where are my Times Square flashy lights? Forget flashy lights, there weren't even street lights in College Station. <laughs> but my apartment there is actually pretty close to what I had in Mumbai. It was also two-story. <laughs> oh, we didn't have a round bed, but we had like a 80-year-old car carpet that I slept on. And we didn't have a TV in every room like my house in Mumbai, but the walls were so thin. <laughs> I could hear my neighbors and my roommates. It was free entertainment. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty sweet. Now, I always thought, was that a wise decision to start all over again? Was, was that good or not? Because in that apartment, I, had to, I was the one to clean. I was the one to cook. I was the one to do laundry, I was the one to do dishes, all by myself. And I, I got a second-hand car that I had to drive myself. <laughs> so if you think about it, my story is also like the slumdog millionaire. <laughs> Just in reverse.
Our next storyteller is someone who I love with all of my heart. Love this man. He probably doesn't even know how much I love him, but um, super awesome. You're going to love his story, too, even though you might cry first. I don't know. This next storyteller is Ray Lopez. Ray is here to tell his story about his life realized. Please welcome Ray Lopez. Good evening. So it's August 2015, and I'm standing in an empty apartment here in downtown San Antonio with nothing but the clothes in my suitcase. I have no furniture. I have no food. I don't even have anybody to talk to. And that's when it hits me. Uh, I've always shared my living space with somebody, even as an only child, whether it was my parents or wife and kids or roommates. For the first time at the age of 50, I'm living alone. And I ask myself, well, now what? And the answer to that question would take me on a journey that I never expected, as all of the institutions that I had given my life to kind of fell apart around me. You see, I've always had this kind of quirk about me. Uh, I never feel like I quite fit in. I can be in a room full of friendly faces like yours, but I always feel like there's something I'm missing that everybody else seems to get. And maybe that's what drew me as a college student to become part of an evangelical Christian community. And for more years than I was married, I gave everything that I am to that community. I went on mission trips. I volunteered at my church. I even left my job at USAA to go back to school. I went to seminary and got ordained, and I served on congregations that were huge, even a big multi-site megachurch here in San Antonio. But for all those decades that I served as a pastor, I still never felt like I quite fit in. Now, if you know anything about evangelical Christianity, they believe that they have the corner on truth, that their understanding of Christianity is absolutely correct, to the exclusion of every other, not just Christian uh, denomination, but every other religion. They think they've got the corner on truth, and that never sat well with me, but I never felt comfortable bringing any of those questions up. And so during the time that I was going through my divorce and I'm having all these questions that I can't bring up, there are two defining moments in my life. The first one is a book that I read called Scary Close by a, an author named Donald Miller, and he talks about his struggle to maintain relationships and uh, how he had to learn to take off his mask and live authentically. And the second was listening to a podcast by a group of people called The Liturgists. Now, don't be fooled by the name. Even though they sound religious, they are a decidedly irreligious group of people who are having conversations and making safe spaces for people to express doubt and to have the kinds of conversations I didn't think anybody was having, certainly not within the evangelical community. And the first episode I listened to was called Black and White in America. And as I listened to them talk about racism, both subtle and not so subtle, I began to realize that I was an unwitting participant in a community and in a system of believing that marginalized not only people of color, but whole groups of people. 
the best way I can describe what was happening to me as I listened to these conversations was like when you're watching The Wizard of Oz and it goes from black and white to color. I began to understand that the binary black and white, this or that way of thinking is not how the world works. And so I'm going through, thank you. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm going through all of these uh, transitions in my thinking from racism to politics to sexuality and every other issue that you can imagine and I'm doing a complete 180 from the way I used to think. And right around this time, the last church where I worked uh, was going through an upheaval. Now, they said it was a reorganization. It was an upheaval. <laughs> and it was brutal. They gave me two options. I could either stay and take a 25% pay cut, or I could walk away and get three months severance. Now at first, in this desire to want to fit in, I decided I would stay. Even though I would effectively be making less money than I was 20 years earlier, fresh out of seminary, it was like staying in that toxic relationship because you think being alone would be worse. And then I remembered something Donald Miller wrote in Scary Close. He wrote about how the greatest regret of the dying is that they didn't live lives that were true to themselves instead of living lives other people expected them to. Thank you. And that's when I knew I needed to walk away. And I did. I did. I, I started to dismantle all of these old ways of thinking and then there was another watershed event that we all know about, the presidential election of 2016. And I watched in utter disbelief as all of these people that I had spent decades working with and doing life with so easily compromised the values that they said that they clung to so that they could have their guy in power. And that was the last straw for me. Now, in the years that followed, and I continued to shift my ways of thinking, I've been able to create a new community of people who have gone through the same things that I've been, gone through. I'm back at USAA. I'm, uh, thank you. <laughs> and I'm in a relationship with a woman that just shows me every day what it means to love. And as I was getting ready to be here tonight, uh, it occurred to me that when I walked into my apartment in August of 2015, it was 30 years to the month that I had first waded into the waters of evangelicalism. And it was as though all of these institutions that I'd been a part of were conspiring to blow up at the same time so that I could go on this journey. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that... All of those things went away at the same time so I could be where I am today. And I'll tell you now, I'm looking forward to what the next 30 years has for me. Thanks. Our next storyteller is Irma Ruiz. And I really feel very secure 
sophisticated when I say Irma Ruiz. Irma is here to tell her story about how she reached clarity at a time when it seemed very hard to see. Please welcome to the stage, Irma Ruiz. Hello. I am Irma Ruiz, and I am very slowly but surely going blind. Yes. And I'll never forget when I first realized, well, now that I look back on it, and the signs that I didn't see, you know, I remember telling my ex-husband, you need to change the lights in the car. And he said, I already did. I thought he was lying to me, so we ended up getting divorced, but anyways. <laughs> that's a whole other story. And I remember being like so clumsy, you know, getting black eyes, because I was getting into fights with dress racks at JCPenney's. <laughs> just bumping into things, you know? Or I remember, you know, just walking and tripping over curbs, you know, right when the curb and the street would meet, and I would fall down, and I'd get embarrassed. I, when I fall down now, I don't get embarrassed anymore. I just get up and act drunk, you know? <laughs> because a lot more people seem to be a little bit more accepting of the fact that I could possibly be an alcoholic <laughs> than the fact that I'm probably going blind. <laughs> You know, but what really made me go see a doctor, finally, I was, I was laying in bed, it was pitch black, and I thought I was late for work. And I got up, and I looked for my alarm clock. I was looking for the red numbers on the alarm clock, and I couldn't see them. And I moved a little bit, and then they appeared. I moved my head back, disappeared again, and that's when I realized I have blind spots. I need to go take care of this. So I went to an eye doctor, went to a specialist, I actually went to a few, and, I was finally diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. And I was like, okay, good, we know what this is, so now what? What do we do? The doctor said, absolutely nothing. You're going blind. There's nothing you can do about it, you know? And he kept on talking, but all I could hear was absolutely nothing. You're going blind. That's all I could hear. So I did my zombie walk to the car. I sat down. I started to Google retinitis pigmentosa. And I cried there in the parking lot. It was pretty bad. I cried a lot. I screamed a little lot, you know. I scared the lady in the car next to me because <laughs> she started to cry and scream too. And I was like, I know, right? <laughs> I don't know what she was diagnosed with, but it was pretty bad, too. <laughs> and um, I ended up going home, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to be like Pollyanna and play the glad game. I don't know if, you've got, if you guys have seen that movie, Pollyanna. It was a Disney movie, and it was about this little girl. She was super poor, and she just had this horrible life, but she just happened to find the good in even the most horrendous situations. She was a little girl. She was um, waiting for a doll to come in the mission barrels, and when the mission barrels finally got there, all she found was a pair of crutches. So, of course, she was upset. She was seven years old. She was super upset. And so her father taught her the glad game. And so she was like, okay, well, what can I find that to be glad about at the fact that I have these crutches? And then she realized, I'm glad that I don't have to use them. 
Okay? So I was like, I can do this too. I, there, I, I, ha I can be glad. I can be glad. There's a reason for this, and I can be glad. And I thought about it for about two days, for two days, and I struggled. I struggled. You know, I cursed God. I cursed my DNA, you know? And finally, I figured it out. I know why I'm glad. I'm glad that I eventually won't be able to see things because I have retinitis pigmentosa. Not because those things are not there. Okay, there are mothers right now who would easily, gladly trade their healthy eyes with me if they could carry their baby one more time. There are widows out there who would gladly, again, trade their healthy eyes with me if they could just feel the embrace of their husband one more time. And all of a sudden, I didn't feel sorry for myself anymore. I didn't feel sorry for myself anymore, and I thought, okay, what now? What do I do now? And I thought, absolutely everything. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Irma Ruiz. Thank you.